Great to see everybody here tonight. My name is Austin. We're in the middle of a sermon series here at Veritas called Encounters with God. Each week, we're looking at issues that people like you, people like me, uh, are facing. We're going to take those issues to the Bible, and we're going to see what does the Bible have to say about them. And when we do that, you know, it turns out the Bible actually has a lot to say about them. It turns out the Bible is not just some old, dusty, out-of-date book, but in fact, it's really relevant. It's got things to say in 2017. You see, the Bible has story after story of people who are struggling with the things that you and I are, people who are anxious, who are depressed, who are worried, who are confused, who are scared, who are lost, who are apathetic, who are living a double life. There's people just like you and me, but in all these people's lives, there's one factor that changed their lives in every single person, and that was that they had an encounter with God. And you know what? If it can happen to them, we think it can happen to us. And so I mentioned it earlier tonight, I th- we're arriving at what I think is probably one of the greatest felt needs uh, among you and among me, and that's anxiety. So 2015, researchers right here in Mizzou Uh, They found 41 students for an experiment in cell phone separation anxiety. Maybe you were part of that research. Who knows? Anyway, during the study, uh, students were placed in a cubicle, and they were asked to do these kind of word search puzzles. And so what the researchers did, they put on the the blood pressure band, and they just monitored how they did. Uh, But then the real experiment started. So what these researchers did is they asked these students, hey, you know what? Your, your, Your phone is interfering with the blood pressure data. Uh, So can we please take it from you? So they gave their phones up, and they put them in a cubicle right next to them. And they could hear their phone. And when these students would do their puzzles, the researchers would call the phone. And so they could hear the phone buzzing. If you're a student, you're doing these puzzles, and all of a sudden, oh, no. Oh, I hope that's not my mom or something, you know. So what they did, they, they took the results and compared them, the first test with their phones, the second test without them, and the results were were staggering. You see, not only did the students' puzzle performance decline significantly when they didn't have their phones, but their anxiety levels, the blood pressure, and their heart rate skyrocketed. One of the researchers concluded, he said this, iPhones are capable of becoming an extension of self, such as that when separated, we experience a lessing of ourself in a negative physiological state. Now, if you're anxious right now because you realize you have cell phone separation anxiety, it's understandable, it's okay, no need to panic, you're in good company. And I say that because anxiety is the most common mental illness in the United States. Over 40 million adults say that they struggle with, that they're dealing with some sort of anxiety. That's almost 20% of the population. Everybody knows somebody who's anxious, a friend, a coworker, a roommate, maybe it's you. You know, if you don't consider yourself an anxious person, keep, keep listening Stay with us, because you might find out that maybe you really are anxious, and you didn't know it, but, but also you might be able to help somebody who is anxious, might be able to help a, a friend, a family member, a, a roommate. You know, all kinds of people are anxious. Celebrities, no surprise, celebrities are anxious. Jennifer Lawrence, she's the star of The Hunger Games and lots of other movies, she's had a long battle with anxiety and with insecurity. She did an interview a couple of years ago, and she said this. In middle school, there's all these peers judging you. Middle school, everybody's favorite time of life. <laughs> In middle school, people are always judging you. You're never good enough, never wearing the right outfit, saying the right thing. 
I want everybody to like me, and who doesn't? But then you grow up and you become famous, and it's the same thing multiplied by a billion. You know, she went on to say recently when she saw herself on television giving an interview, she had a full-fledged panic attack. And she said it's, it's like all of a sudden she was hit by a train at the realization of how many people are seeing this interview. And she's crippled, she's paralyzed by the thought that her career might come crashing down, that she might disappoint all of these people. See, all kinds of people are anxious. Believe it or not, pastors are anxious. There's a guy named John Ortberg. He's a pastor out in California, and this is so great. Uh, I shouldn't say this because it's going to happen to me. His very first sermon in his very first church, you know what he did? About two minutes in, he hit the deck. He passed out because he was so nervous. I'm not kidding. He told the story in a sermon. So you'd think he'd kind of get his stuff together. You'd think he'd kind of get over it. Next week, five minutes in, hits the deck again. Two weeks in a row, passes out. I can't make this up. All kinds of people are anxious. Sarah was anxious. Sarah was my ex-girlfriend. Uh, my wife's not here. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So she'll be here in a couple weeks, though, so don't tell her. But I met this girl uh, after a mission trip to Jamaica, oddly enough. We hung out for two or three months, and this was the first girl I liked. I was a Christian. She was a Christian. And so it's the last week of finals. I finally work up the nerve to say, hey, you uh, want to go get some ice cream? We can go to Coldstone. She's like, Okay. Goldstone, two for, what, it might have been Tuesday, the two for one, I was poor. Anyway, so we go and get some Coldstone, and we're walking in. Now, ladies, if you don't know this, if you get asked on this, guys have about four or five times, they're like, yes, I'm going to have the conversation. They get there and go, nope, not yet. All right, I'm going to keep going. And so I'd had this about four or five times. Finally, I get to the quad. There's a little bench right by the geological science building. I say, this is it. I'm going it. Tenth time's a charm. So I say, hey, can we sit down here? She's like, yeah, sure. So we sit down. We sit down, and I set my cold stone down, and I kind of turn to her, and I say, hey, you know, it's, we've been hanging out for a while, and I'm just wondering, like, would you like to be my, my girlfriend, or something like that? And she goes, mm. <laughs> mm. and she runs away. She ran into the geological sciences building, and she threw up. Everybody's looking at me like, you don't believe me. Ask Kyle, ask Patrick. It's true. She came back, like five minutes later. I'm sitting on the bench going, I don't know what I did. She comes back and she goes, no. She's like, oh gosh, that's terrible. She was so anxious. She had never been asked out on a date before. So, not to, don't worry, I'm stubborn. We still hung around for that summer and after a couple months, I start you know, getting the vibe again. She's like, hey, we're hanging out, whatever. I'm like, all right, this is cool, fine. So I start talking to her friends again. They're like, you should ask her out again. Do it, you should do it. She's gonna go for it. I'm like, okay, I'll try. So, this time I take her to Cosmo Park. We go sit on a bench and I go, hi, it's me again. She's like, hey. I said, hey, do you want to be my girlfriend? And she goes, I'm not kidding. She ran to the porta potty about 30 yards away. She came back. She told me yes. Then we broke up a year later. It's fine. Sorry. Sarah was anxious. Nobody had ever asked her out. Of course. Sorry. Hope that doesn't happen to you. Of course. Of course, college students, college students are anxious. A national survey found that anxiety is the top concern of 41% of college students. That's two out of five people. Now, I mentioned it last semester, but anxiety rates at Mizzou are at an all-time high. Now, instead of chastising you or making you feel guilty, I want to empathize just a little bit because 
there's a lot to be anxious about at college. You know, if you're a freshman, you're, you're going through a lot of life change. You've been probably at the same school for a while, same family, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're in a new place. You've got a new roommate. You're on a dorm floor with lots of different people, some cool, some kind of weird. You're trying to make friends. You're trying to get involved, uh, and you have to sit down and sift through 8,000 pieces of paper that you get at that uh, Mizzou fair during the summer welcome. You've got maybe grades to focus on. You've got a financial scholarship to do, and that's, that's hard. That's a lot of pressure. And then after the dorms, of course, you've got to find a place to live. You've got to figure out who you're going to live with. You're going to live with three students. You're going to live with eight students in East Campus. Well, if we've got to find eight, we've got to have three more. And are they going to fit with the group? It's a lot. You've got to manage money and a loaded schedule. And, oh, by the way, if you want to serve, you've got a small group to lead. You've got to meet. You have lots of ob- obligations. You've got to figure out classes next year. Then you've got to get a job and an internship and keep the job. And, by the way, you're trying to find somebody to date, maybe. It's a lot. It's exhausting. All that pressure and the demands of, of life in college, it ne- they never seem to let up. It's almost like anxiety is a sort of serial killer. You know those cheesy 80s movies, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason? Those guys never die. They're always there. It's like Jason 50. You know, I don't know. They just never die. They're still around. That's kind of what anxiety is. It just keeps finding us over and over. But again, don't worry because you are in good company. You see, Jesus, he met somebody who was being chased by anxiety just like you and I. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump around a little bit, but start in the Gospel of Luke and go to chapter 8. And while you do that, Luke is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels are basically accurate historical uh, teachings, recountings of the teachings and the life of Jesus. And Luke, in particular, wrote this Gospel with the goal of he's wanting to report actual history. So the stuff that we read in Luke, we know we're not getting myths. We're getting real, actual history. So chapter 8, verse 43 says this. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So a few verses earlier, Jesus was approached by a man who had a very, very sick daughter. And this man asked Jesus to come and to help, and he agrees. But to do that, he has to make his way through a huge crowd of people. And this woman is one of them in the crowd. Now, we don't get too much information on why she's there or what's going on with her, but we get just enough to where we can fill in some of the details. You see, it said this woman had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And this is a reference to the woman's uh, monthly cycle, but clearly there's something wrong here because this is 12 years. That's not normal. Now, this woman is an Israelite, and among the ancient Israelites, unlike today, a woman's monthly cycle made her what was called unclean. Now, to be unclean, it didn't mean that you were somehow unworthy of ever coming into God's presence. It didn't mean somehow you were lower than a normal person, but it did mean that you weren't acceptable in God's presence. See, God set up the Old Testament sacrificial system in such a way that gave people the opportunity when they were unclean, they could be clean again. You had to go through some what seemed like weird hoops for us today, but back then it kind of made sense. In particular, the Old Testament book of Leviticus details lots of these weird hoops to jump through, these weird things to do in order to get right, to become clean again. This woman, she would have had the instructions we're about to read, she would have had them memorized. They would have haunted her and followed her every single day because they would remind her of how unclean she was. Leviticus 15, 
If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean. And shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. You see, the ancient people of Israel, they devoted their entire lives to obeying these laws. They took painstaking efforts to make sure that they did not defile themselves, to make sure they did not come in contact with anyone or anything who was unclean. They had to know who and what to avoid. Fathers had to teach their children, hey, make sure if you see someone who looks like this, don't go near them. If you watch out for this animal, if you do that, look, we got to bathe ourselves. It's a big deal, so make sure you stay clean. If we go back to, to Luke chapter 8, we learn that this woman had also spent all her living on physicians, but she couldn't be healed by anyone. In the Gospel of Mark, He's, he's another gospel writer who's telling the same story. We learn that these doctors' attempts, they only made things worse. The pain after everything they tried to do got worse and worse. So for 12 years, she went from doctor to doctor, from painful procedure to painful procedure. After every appointment, she goes a little bit more poor. She has a little bit less money to provide for herself, and her desperation gets a little bit more and a little bit more each time. And if that's not enough... She's constantly tired and worried because she's losing blood. Stop just for a minute and think about the anxiety of this woman's life. Think about what she was running from for 12 years, the anxiety of being known as the outcast. Every time this woman would have to go in public, she would have to announce at the top of her lungs, I'm unclean, keep away from me, here I come, and the crowd would part. Think about that. The anxiety of watching your friends, the people who used to be your friends, go into the temple to worship God as they should among other believers while you stand outside. And you're on the outside looking in. You see, anxiety chased this woman for 12 years because that's what anxiety does. It hunts us down. It chases us. It's a serial killer that won't stop. But you know what? That's not all that anxiety is. Anxiety is also a basement door kind of like this. The things that cause anxiety, they're often doorways into something deeper, into a lower level of things going on inside of us, things going on in our hearts. And they're an invitation, as odd and as weird as that sounds, they're an invitation for us to go a little bit deeper. And so when anxiety hunts us down, when it looks us in the face, we have one of two options. The first option is we can keep running from it. We can keep at arm's length. We can try to ignore that door. We can try to make things better by our own plans, by our own devices. Lots of people choose this option. I choose this option. There's lots of ways to ignore it. Some people do this intentionally. Drugs and alcohol. Jumping from one relationship to another. Maybe you shop. Maybe you watch Netflix. Maybe you study until midnight every night. Maybe you eat. Maybe you watch pornography, maybe you exercise, maybe you check your phone constantly. Let me just ask one question. How's that going? I mean, how's it going? Is it working? Do you feel at peace? 
you feel at ease? Do you feel more secure? Or is it just making it worse? Again, can I say I empathize with that option a little bit? I bet a lot of you in here, you know what you're doing. You're not stupid. You know what's behind that door, and it's too much right now. It's too painful. You're not ready to enter into it. I get it, and I empathize with that. But here's the reality. The longer that you and I wait, the longer that you and I run and keep that at bay, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. In October 2003, uh, former CEO, Apple CEO, Steve Jobs, he, he went to the doctor and he got some bad news. Turned out that he had something called islet cell cancer. It's a rare version of pancreatic cancer. Now, it's really, really slow growing, but oddly enough, it's treatable. But you have to get to surgery right away, and you have to get it, the, the portion of it removed. And the reason it's treatable is because of how slow it grows. But Jobs, he decided not to have surgery right away. Instead, for the next nine months, he decided to try his own thing. He decided to keep to his strict vegan diet. He had these weird diets, and all he did was he wanted fresh carrot juice and fresh, fresh fruit juice. He thought that's what, what would be enough. And all the while, his mom his wife, his kids are telling him, no, what are you doing? Go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. So finally, after nine months, he gives in. He goes to the doctor. <clears throat> but it was too late. During the surgery, they found that that cancer had spread, and they couldn't contain it anymore. And for the rest of his life, for the next eight years, he was plagued by this cancer, and he ended up dying. He died at the age of 56. Now, why tell that story? When anxiety comes, you and I, we could be like Steve Jobs. We could ignore it. We could try to do our own thing, but eventually the problem's going to get worse. But there's another option. There's another option. You could get the surgery. You could do the unthinkable, the thing that doesn't make any sense to you right now. You could get the surgery. You could let the anxiety catch you. You can face that basement door, and you can walk through the other side. Have you done that? Are you willing to do that? You know, walking through that door and dealing with what's below the surface, it's not always an easy thing to do. In my own experience, this is really scary. It's really messy. It's kind of two steps forward, one and a half steps back. But it takes practice. You've got to find someone, a person, a community where you can share comfortably, where people won't try and fix you. Now, to get really practical, let me share it, not, not perfectly, but just a way that I've, uh, I've found that it kind of helps, that really helps me kind of navigate when I walk through that door, what's it look like? I ask two questions. The first question is, what's the problem? What's the problem? And the second question I ask is, why is that a problem? Let me give you an example. Last Christmas, every year, our staff team has a, a Christmas party. It's great, one of the things I look forward to most. Well, uh, my wife and my three kids, they were totally sick, and we didn't want to get anybody else sick. So it was kind of that morning realized, you know what? We're not going to be able to go to this Christmas party. And right then, had some of that anxiety start to build up. And by God's grace, I was able to go, okay, well, time out, hold on. What's the problem? Okay, the problem is I can't go to the Veritas Christmas party. Why is that a problem? Well, if it's a problem, because I'm going to miss out. You know, FOMO, it's real, fear of missing out. I'm going to miss out on the fun times and all the inside jokes, on just the good experiences. Okay, well, there's another problem. I'm going to miss out. Why is that a problem? Well, here's why it's a problem for me. It sounds ridiculous but I'm afraid I'm going to get forgotten. I'm afraid that I'm going to be thought of as not really worth being around. Now, do you see what just happened there? 
I didn't solve anything, but I was able to get below the surface to the lower depths of what's going on. And so that's a way just to kind of find those issues, name those issues, walk through that door. That's a good first step, but it's not the last step. We got to do what this woman did. Let's go back to our text, this time in Mark chapter 5. You can turn there, you can look it up on the screen. This woman had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garment. For she said, even if I touch his garment, I'm going to be made well. We don't know how much this woman was able to analyze and name her anxiety. We don't know what brought her to this level of desperation, to want to hide in a crowd, to be willing to be unclean and go among those people. But what we do know is where she ended up. She ended up by Jesus. She went to Jesus. She took a risk. She was at the end of a rope, and in her desperation, she reached out. Maybe a 51%. Maybe probably not 100%. She had some questions. She had some doubts. But she was desperate enough that she reached for Jesus. There's an ancient Israelite king. His name's Jehoshaphat. My, uh, my grandma would say that all the time. King Jehoshaphat. He was a king of Israel. And he got word that there were two kingdoms that had sent troops to annihilate his own kingdom, annihilate his family, annihilate his people, and he's caught off guard. And he records this prayer. This is what he went to God and said in that moment. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he said, we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We're powerless. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do you know it's okay to admit that you're powerless? You can, you can give up. You can stop running. You can be anxious. You can be anxious. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Your anxiety, if you're a Christian, that's not a sign of your unfaithfulness. That is not a sign of God trying to punish you for some sin that you haven't quite figured out, and he's going to punish you and make your life miserable until you figure it out. That's not it. It's okay to be anxious. It's a normal part of life in God's kingdom on that roller coaster. Jesus isn't surprised by it. In fact, he expects it. Read with me in in Matthew 11. He says this, come to me. I I love this verse. I need this verse. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. He assumes people are not at rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. 1 Peter 5. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He betrayed him three times. Jesus looked him right in the eye and knew that he did it. He has every reason to be overwhelmed by anxiety. He has every reason to not be a disciple, but he was restored. And this is what he writes, coming from Peter's mouth. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do you humble yourself? You cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If Peter can write that, surely you and I can say that. The church father, Augustine, he said in his famous book, Confessions, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. You see, Jesus wants you. He wants me at the height of our anxiety. While we're still in the mess, while we still don't have things figured out, while we are freaking out, he wants us to come to him. Don't stay away. Don't try and fix it. Don't try and hide from it. Come. You're going to be noticed. You're going to be seen. You're going to be heard. If you're like me, 
That's great. Good. I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to do all that. But then what? I mean, is that it? If we go back to the story of the woman, when she touched Jesus' robe, she was immediately healed. And Jesus knew someone touched her, and Jesus turned and wondered who touched her, and she, she said, it was me. And, and he says, bless you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She was totally healed. She no longer has to be anxious about being called out in a crowd, about asking a crowd to part. She can walk among a crowd. She can go to a family's birthday party. She can visit with friends whenever she wants. She can sleep in her own bed. You know, maybe you're asking the question that, that I'm asking myself right now. Is this, is this what's going to happen to me? If I come to Jesus, is, is my anxiety going to be gone? Is he just going to fix it like that? Are my grades going to be better? Am I going to get more friends? Am I going to be more confident? I don't know. Maybe. I hope so. But, but then again, maybe not. You know, I, I wish, for my sake, for your sake, I wish there were a quick and an easy answer, a nice, easy step to relieve that anxiety. I wish I could tell you, I wish I could tell myself, all we need to do is come to Jesus and it'll be easier. But, but we know that's not right. You and I, we're smart, right? We know better. It's not that simple. A lot of times, sometimes in our most desperate moments, we ask for God to take something away, to do something with it. God, help him here. And he says, no. What do you do with that? You ever been told no by God? You're in good company. Jesus got told no. Jesus got told no in perhaps the most desperate and anxious moment of his entire life. In his last night as a free man, he went to a garden. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what had awaited him in the next hours. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten within an inch of his life. He's going to have a crown of thorns placed and shoved onto his head. Those thorns are going to go through his skull. He's about to have nails hammered into his wrists and into his feet, and those nails are going to hang him on the cross, and that cross is going to be the means by which he dies a slow and a painful death. He knows that's coming, and you know what he prays? Matthew 26 tells us, he said to his disciples in this garden, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here, watch with me. And he going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed. He said, my father, if it be possible, please let this cup pass from me. Let it pass from me. Let it be, let there be some other way, any way but this way. I don't want it. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, he asked for a different way a different path. If you know the story, he was told no. Look, if Jesus did it, if Jesus asked for his anxiety to be taken away, then you and I should ask for our anxiety to be taken away. You shouldn't feel guilty to ask that you want relief. You shouldn't feel guilty to ask that we'd be okay to be separate from our phones or that we'd have more friends or that we would get that job. You don't need to feel guilty if you take medication for anxiety. There's, there's a right time to do that. And yet we have to end our prayers like Jesus. Not my will, but your will. Father, I, I'm asking this. This is what I want, and yet I do it with open hands. I ask knowing, look, you can take it away if you want it. Just like you healed the woman with a snap of your fingers, you could heal my anxiety right away. But then again, maybe it's better for me. Maybe you got a purpose for it. Coming to Jesus like this, with this attitude, with this prayer over time, it's gonna help us live with that anxiety. Again, I wish it would go away. I hope it goes away, but it might not. So we got to figure out what to do. We got to figure out how to live with it. It's a messy 
process. It's not easy. It's not simple. Like I said, two steps forward, one and a half back. You've got to find friends. You have to find leaders who you can talk with. Maybe the same thing over and over again. You might even need to find a pastor or a professional counselor to help you out. You might need to get some medication. Now, if you don't struggle with anxiety as much, you can help those who do. You can be that friend who's not going to fix it, who's just going to listen. You can get them out of their house and go get some coffee with them or take them a meal. You can go on a walk or a run with them. Get them outside. You can help. You can be the one to remind yourself and them how much you both need Jesus, even though you're not anxious and they are. Let me close with this. I get migraines a lot. Uh, it's, it's annoying, quite, quite frankly. It starts behind my left eye. Maybe you get migraines. And for me, it just spreads slowly and slowly. And, and if I don't get medicine quick enough, I mean, I'm out. I'm on my back. I have to go home. I have to sleep for 8 to 12 hours. It's, it's miserable. But thankfully, uh, I can prevent it from happening. All I have to do is I have to take two Excedrin migraine pills. Even if I think it's coming, I take it early enough, and it's good. And because this helps me, and because I know how bad I need it, I've got it everywhere. I've got it in my work bag. I've got it in my desk. I've got it in my cars. You see me with these pills. I'm not a drug dealer. It's my Excedrin migraine, okay? You can ask me about it. It's fine, but it's Excedrin migraine. If I never got migraine headaches, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need these pills. I wouldn't take them. Why would I need that? You know, whether you know it or not, you and I need an encounter with Jesus. Just like I need those migraine pills, you and I need Jesus. Because, you know, because we live in a fallen and a broken world, our default mode is such that over time, if left unchecked, we're going to grow farther away from Jesus. Our desire and need for Jesus is going to lessen. We're not even going to feel like we need Jesus unless something happens, unless something is done in our lives to bring us to our knees, to throw us on our back. What if that thing, what if that thing was anxiety? What if that was God that's what God is using to bring you closer to him. It's the means by which he helps you feel his need for him. As the, uh, as the worship team comes up, I'm going to tell one last story. Uh, that pastor, John Orberg, fainted. He had his daughter. His daughter's named Lauren. And, uh, and she has, and has been living for a while with generalized anxiety disorder. And her dad asked her just to kind of share her story in, in a sermon that she gave. And it's a really good, really good talk. But one of the things that she said at the end of this has just, just stuck with me. I haven't been able to get it out of my head. She said that the way she was finally able to come to terms with living with this disorder, it just started with a simple question she asked herself years ago. What if God is using my anxiety to draw me closer to him? What if God is using my anxiety to draw me closer to him? And she said that question helped her begin to think more, and she started praying this prayer. The first thing she said in the morning, she said, God, today, please don't take away my anxiety, but use it to draw me closer to you. Use it to draw me closer to you. I would humbly submit that we would add one more to that. God, today, would you please use my anxiety to draw others to you? Would others see my struggle? find hope? Would others see me battling, fighting to come to Jesus, fighting to share, fighting to believe? Would they see that and know that it's not a hopeless battle? Would you be my, would you be that light in my life that draws others to you? And so as we close tonight, what we're going to do, we're going to turn the lights off.
put your phones down, put them on airplane mode, close your eyes, and we're going to practice just a little bit of, of what we've been talking about. We're going to take just a few moments uh, of quiet. So go ahead and let's do this. Close your eyes. I want you to think, what's making you anxious right now? Maybe there's a lot, but just one thing. What is making you anxious right now? What are you running from? Bring it up in your mind and in your head. Tell God what that is. If you can, I want you to try and let yourself be caught. Let that anxiety catch you. I want you to try and walk through that door and ask yourself those two questions right now. What's the problem? Why is that a problem? thing that you're running from, it's like, a, it's like just a huge knot. It's gross, it's messy, it's confusing, you don't want it. Imagine just opening your hands and giving it to Jesus. You're in his presence, and he says, come, give it to me. Imagine you just gave that to him, whatever it is. You're helpless. Right now, tell him what you really want. What do you really want to happen more than anything? Father, we're an anxious people. I thank you so much that you're not surprised by that, that that's normal, that that's okay, that's part of living in your kingdom. And yet, God, it's hard. It's annoying, it's stressful to run all the time. I pray, God, I pray you would give me, you would give every person in this room grace and mercy to stop running, to face it head on see that door and to stop hiding from it, to stop trying to fix it, but to walk through it by your grace. Would you give us courage and patience and strength? Be real to us. Help us to know that you're with us. End of story. God, if it never gets better, help us to live with it. Not my will, but your will be done. We ask all these things.